Hello, and welcome to Behind the Horror. Scary movie fans, such as myself, will hear that a movie is based on a true story. A few of them we know, but most we never go on to find out just what that true story is. So in this series, we will explore and find out exactly what the true story is behind the movies we love. The 1999 movie, Ravenous, starts us out in a military ceremony where the main character, John Boyd, is crowned the captain of the army due to his exemplary conduct and bravery during the Mexican-American War in the early to mid-1800s. He has some flashbacks of battle, of course, one of which shows you that he faked his own death then his, quote, dead body was taken across the border where he was able to defeat the leader of that particular battle on the other side. Then the men at the ceremony sit down to eat, banquet style, and John looks seemingly disturbed by the whole ordeal. John is then sent to California to a military outpost because his superiors know that he effectively took the, shall we say, weaker route to the victory rather than, you know, slash and stab his way to it. And once he gets to the outpost, he basically meets the rest of the cast of characters and you begin to realize that there is some dark humor to this movie because the other characters all have different and odd, quirky little personalities. So one evening, John and some others go outside to find Calhoun, who is nearly frozen to death lying on the ground just outside the fort. They, of course, bring him in. They put him in a hot bath to warm him up, they wrap him in blankets, and they put him near a fire. John examines the man's clothes and notices that there is dried blood on his shirt, though the man himself has no wounds. The next morning, Calhoun tells John and the others about how he and a group of people had been traveling across a few states attempting to settle the then wild and open lands of California. Another man in their group had stated there was a shorter route to California through the mountains, which of course turns out to be this huge mistake. They became trapped for three months on the mountaintop due to snow. Rather than starve, the group resorted to cannibalism, but he insisted there were survivors, so the men at the fort go on a rescue mission. What happens next? Those of you who have seen the movie know, and the rest will just have to watch to find out. This movie is based on a man named Alfred Packer, known as the Colorado Cannibal. Alfred Packer was born in January 1842 in Western Pennsylvania. His parents were James and Esther. Now, around the time that Alfred was roughly 10 years old, his parents had moved him and his two siblings to northern Indiana, where his father began working as a cabinet maker. 
Now, for reasons that are not immediately known, Alfred and his parents didn't get along very well, and he moved away from home when he was in his later teens, first settling somewhere in Minnesota and began working as a shoemaker. Then, in April of 1862, 20-year-old Alfred enlisted in the Union Army during the Civil War in Winona, Minnesota. He was assigned to the infantry regiment, but was honorably discharged because he apparently was suffering with epilepsy less than a year later. Alfred then joined the 8th Iowa Cavalry, but it was discovered that he had epilepsy again and he was discharged after a year. It was noted that he was having seizures averaging about every other day. So in 1864, he decided to travel west. He held several different jobs throughout the central western states, including hunting, wagon teamster, field worker, farm worker, but mostly he worked in the mines in and around the Rocky Mountains. He was forced to change jobs so frequently due to his seizures. Alfred even tried his hand at being a guide, but since he had moved around so much, he just really wasn't that familiar with the area, and he often got lost. For nine years, he mostly laid low, and most of the people that knew him were not particularly fond of him. They stated he was not an honest man, and in fact, was known to be a thief and just all-around cantankerous. So in November of 1873, the now 31-year-old Alfred and a party of 20 other people decided to leave Utah together and head to Breckenridge, Colorado to mine for gold. They had heard that there was a massive amount of gold being found there. So this group of men were not pals. In fact, they were all but complete strangers to each other. But a man named Bob McGrew had announced that anyone could go with him to Colorado if they chose to follow him. This group actually had already started on their journey when they ran into Alford in Provo, Utah, after about 25 miles of traveling. Alfred was ill-prepared for any kind of long-distance traveling, and he also had zero money, but he was able to convince the group that he was a skilled guide and a talented prospector with this extensive knowledge of the area the men were headed toward, so they allowed him to join. During their travels, Alfred came across as lazy hard to get along with, and ate up more than his fair share of the rations of food, and he of course kept having seizures, so as you can imagine, the other men were getting pretty sick of him pretty quick. It was also becoming quite obvious that he was not the quote guide he had advertised himself to be. Needless to say, it was taking the men a lot longer to make any progress than they had anticipated. Now remember, they left in November, and due to the delays, winter weather was becoming intense. 
they were following the Mormon Trail, which is a 1,300 mile or 2,092 kilometer long route that goes from Illinois through Utah, traveled by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is now, of course, a part of the U.S. National Trails system. Okay, now the snow was getting very deep and it was making travel super hard for the horses and the wagons and the trail was becoming nearly impossible to follow. So they were having to rely on just a compass, but it was inevitable. The party got lost. They ran out of food quickly and were having to survive on horse feed. Then they were nearly going to have to kill one of the horses to have anything to eat at all. Then in January 1874, they stumbled upon a Utah Indian tribe in Western Colorado, led by Chief Ure. Now Ure was quite the accomplished and well-respected man. He had traveled to Washington DC and had actually met President Lincoln, among other presidents, negotiating for his tribe. He could speak a few different languages and was known as the quote, white man's friend. Ure welcomed the travel-worn men with open arms, providing food and shelter to them, much to their surprise and relief. Now, Chief Ure urged a group of men to stay there and wait out the dangerous winter, leaving again on their journey in the spring. He tried desperately to warn them that leaving soon would mean their deaths. But, unfortunately, the greediness of the group won over. They were convinced that other prospectors were already there, taking all of the gold, and they'd miss out on getting their fortune. They had been with the tribe for about two weeks when they got together to talk about them possibly leaving. At this point, it was the beginning of February, and the intense winter weather had not slowed. The men that had the horses and wagons were forced to stay with the tribe. A total of 11 men got together, and even though Ore begged them not to, they left. Now, he was kind enough to load them up with food, water, and supplies, gave them the safest possible directions to the next outpost, bypassing the mountains, and then he bid them farewell. Now this is where Alfred comes into play. Alfred kept pushing to go through the mountains. He kept on and on about how it was a direct route, thus cutting their travel time down considerably. Somehow, even though these men knew he was a liar, he was able to convince five of the 11 men to follow him. The rest continued to follow the river as Ore had told them to, and though they encountered their own fair share of issues, they eventually made it to their destination. So the date was February 9th when Alfred and the five other men began their journey through the mountains. They were looking at a 75 mile trek, which on foot is quite the distance. These men did not have snowshoes or anywhere near the amount of provisions needed to last the journey, 
which Alfred had convinced them should only take about 14 days. They also didn't have sufficient thicker clothing for the weather and no really good way to even start a fire. What they had were two rifles, a pistol, very little ammo, and two knives. So it goes without saying that they, of course, ran out of food. The Native American tribe had given them moccasins to wear and they resorted to boiling those to have something in their stomachs, but that quickly ran out as well. So those that knew that the group of men had followed Alfred into the mountains feared that because they had never arrived to the destination that they were missing and most likely dead. So fast forward to a little over two months later, Alfred Packer appeared from the woods with barely the strength to walk across a frozen lake and into the Los Pinos Indian Agency in Colorado. He had only some rags tied to his feet. He managed to get to one of the buildings and walked in as some men were eating their breakfast. The sight of him must have been something. He put on a display, begged for food and shelter, and the men, of course, rose and hurried over to him to help him to the table. They promptly gave him some food, but of course he threw it all up due to the starvation, as we all know that can happen. They then gave him some whiskey to drink, which loosened him up a bit, and he began to tell the men his tale. He told them about the group and how they had set out in the beginning. He told them of the accommodating Indian chief and how he and a smaller group had forged out on their own into the mountains. Alfred also said that he had become, quote, snowblind and tired, falling behind the other men. He said they gave him a rifle and abandoned him and he was forced to survive on his own, eating roots and rosebuds for the next two months. Now those men were looking at him and were immediately confused. If he had had only that tiny bit to eat for so long, well he certainly didn't look malnourished as he would most certainly be at this point. They later reported that his face was bloated looking and he was not thin either. But they bought the rifle from him for $10, which is a little over $200 in today's money. They let him stay there to recuperate for 10 days. Then Alfred stated he was leaving to go back to Pennsylvania. He left, but he went to a nearby town to get supplies for his trip. When he got into town, he rented a room at the local saloon and he paid $100 for about a month's worth of nights, which to give you some perspective, that would be about $2,200 today. Alfred even offered to loan the owner an additional $300 if he wanted it. He then went to the general store and spent $78, and it was noted he had several wallets with him. He spent his days drinking alcohol, getting drunk, and retelling his harrowing story of survival. Only, the details varied greatly depending on who he was talking to. The townspeople began to talk amongst themselves 
realizing that the men he claimed to have traveled with had never been heard from or seen again. So remember the other group that took the route Ore had told them to, to follow the river to bypass the mountains? Well, three of those men arrived in that town where they found Alfred drunk in the saloon. This time he said that they had been stopped by a bad winter storm. So he started a fire and the others went to try to hunt for some food and they never returned. And again, these men were suspicious because he looked very well fed and they knew that the others would not have abandoned him like that. His whole story was quite suspicious. So one of the men began questioning him. You know, why would they leave you with a good hunting rifle if they were just going to abandon you? You claimed to be a guide. You told all of us that you were this accomplished guide, and yet you stayed behind and let them go off by themselves? And where did you get all of this money you are blowing all over town when you were broke when we met you? And why do you have that guy's skinning knife? And so on and so on. The men began to openly accuse Alfred of doing something to the other men, and one man threatened to hang him. Alfred decided he'd better get out of town. Now the rest of the party that had gone around the mountain found themselves at Los Pinos Indian Agency in Colorado, you know, the one that Alfred had stumbled into where they promptly heard the story about Alfred and how his group had abandoned him. Now, of course, these men knew that that wasn't true, and they told the men there that Alfred was a liar and that most likely Alfred had done something to the men while they were up in the mountains. This, of course, led the general of that agency to send one of his men to the town Alfred had been in with orders to bring him back for questioning, except he was to be under the impression it was to help put a search party together to find the missing men in the mountains. That officer that was sent found Alfred just in time before he skipped town. Now, of course, he did not want to go back, but it was either that or the other party of men that found him would likely kill him, so he went back reluctantly. Once the officer and Alfred got back to the agency, the general started questioning him about the other men. Alfred said he had not seen them since February. The officer told the general that the men in the town told him about all the money that Alfred had been blowing and that he was carrying around stuff that, quite frankly, did not belong to him. Alfred put on quite the show of acting shocked about the accusations and expressed concern for the missing men. Of course, by this point, no one bought it. So, as the general and his men began to gather info for some proceedings, two Utah tribesmen came to the agency, supposedly holding quote, strips of dried human flesh, unquote, that they found while out hunting. At that moment, Alfred faked fainting and he fell down. He then began begging for mercy, stating that he would confess. 
he said to the general, quote, it would not be the first time that people had been obliged to eat each other when they were hungry, unquote. Then he confessed. Now in his official statement, he said they had started up the mountain thinking they had enough food for what they thought would be a 14-day journey. But the journey had been tough and the terrain rough and they had used up their rations too quickly. So for days they dug up roots and ate the occasional rabbit that they could find and so on. But conditions got so bad that Alfred said they were all, quote, eyeing each other in an unsettling way, unquote. Then a few days later, he stated he left the camp to get firewood. And when he returned, the men had all killed another, hitting him in the head with a hatchet. He said they began to butcher the dead man, and he just accepted that and helped them. They ate what they could and packed up the rest. He said most of the money came from this man that they all killed, and it didn't take long for them to run out of that human meat, so they secretly decided who the next kill would be. That man was killed with the hatchet, butchered, and consumed. His belongings redistributed as the first and so on. And this continued until there was just Alfred and one other man. Now they promised each other that they would not kill the other and would make do with what little food they could find as they continued on in the unrelenting cold and snow. They also agreed to tell people later that the others had simply died. But, of course, the men, after a few more days of starvation, began to fight. But Alfred had the hatchet, and he killed the last man. He butchered him, and he ate him. He then gathered up what he could, and he continued on. Once he saw the agency in the distance, he threw what Meaty had left away, counting on a random animal to finish what was left. Alfred also stated that he actually quite liked the taste of human flesh and that the pectoral meat or breast meat was the tastiest. So the general put together a search party to find the remains of the five men in the mountains. The search party consisted of men from the agency and five men from the group that had went around the mountain and get this, you're not going to believe this, they allowed Alfred to be their guide. They traveled for two weeks before Alfred declared that he was just lost and of course no remains were found. One of the original men demanded that Alfred be hung immediately, but instead they headed back to the agency though Alfred did try to murder one of the men and of course was promptly arrested and jailed. While in jail, he changed his story multiple times, but this was his official signed confession. Quote, Old Man Swan died first and was eaten by the other five persons about ten days out of camp. Four or five days afterwards, Humphreys died and was also eaten. He had about $133. I found the pocketbook and took the money. 
Sometime afterwards, while I was carrying wood, the butcher was killed, as the other two told me accidentally, and he was also eaten. Bell shot, quote, California with Swan's gun, and I killed Bell. Shot him. I covered up the remains and took a large piece along, then traveled 14 days into the agency. Bell wanted to kill me with his rifle, struck a tree, and broke his gun, unquote. Later that summer, a man stumbled upon the remains of all five victims in one area, two miles southeast of Lake City, Colorado. They were literally that close. That area is now called Dead Man's Gulch. The man that found them was actually an artist and he sketched the scene as he saw it. His name was John A. Randolph, if you want to look his sketch up. So John told the police in Lake City, and the local authorities went to get the bodies, which were in a horrific state of decomposition. And get this, the locals all stated that, while it had been the worst winter they'd seen in a long time, there was still ample large and small game to hunt, and they even found a deer carcass near his campsite. At this point, everyone knew Alfred had lied about what had happened. The authorities believed the men had been killed before the rations had actually run out, the end game being to rob them of their money and items, and Alfred then got snowed in and stuck. So he lived in a sort of crude shelter he erected for months, slicing human meat off as he needed to, to consume. The remains of the men were buried at the site and all returned to the jail where Alfred was to tell him what they found. The news spread fast. He was guilty before there was ever a trial. But the cannibalism wasn't what upset them the most. It was the belief that he had purposefully led the men to their premeditated deaths just to rob them. So at the end of his trial, the judge said, and you're going to love this, I'm going to say it verbatim, quote, Stand up, you voracious man-eating son of a bitch, and receive your sentence. When you came to Hinsdale County, there was seven Democrats. But you, you et five of them, goddamn ya. I sentence ya to be hanged by the neck until you're dead, dead, dead. As a warning, again, reducing the Democratic population of this county. Packer, you Republican cannibal, I would sentence ya to hell. But the statues forbid it. Unquote. Oh, I love that. But Alfred's lawyers found a loophole and they got him out of being executed. So a second trial commenced, this time with a Republican judge, but he was still sentenced to 40 years in prison. He was now, at this point, 43 years old. He really only served 15 years of his sentence and then he was released on parole where he moved to Denver. He died in 1907 from what sounds like Alzheimer's and a possible stroke, and he is buried in Littleton, Colorado.
So, Alfred was indeed a scoundrel, a pathological liar with a surly attitude. He was a murderer and a cannibal. But rumor has it, he actually became a vegetarian after he was arrested and stayed that way for the rest of his life until he died. Thanks for listening.